What an amazing hymn and what an amazing uh, verse that we, we had in our reading there that really stood out to me uh, when Kerry read it a few moments ago. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's amazing. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that uh, you would bless us as we study your word. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to your word so that we'd be equipped to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really pleased uh, to be here this morning to be talking about uh, John 13. It's one of those uh, passages that uh, I really love. I think so many people uh, really love this passage. There's something very powerful and there's something very uh, special uh, about it, I think. And it's, um, I mean, it talks about leadership and it talks about service and it talks about humility and it talks about, you know, the deep pain of betrayal in there as well. And, and there's so much that we could say uh, about all of that. But I think at its heart, when I reflect on this passage, I think that actually what it's telling us this morning is a real lesson on human relationships, how to live with one another, how to love one another, and particularly during great times of transition in life. So I think it's really especially important this morning that we're thinking about Jesus' words today as hopefully we begin to emerge from the worst of this pandemic and the worst of the lockdown uh, that we've been enduring uh, on and off uh, for about a year now. More on all of that in one moment, but first of all, a question for you this morning. And my question is this. Um, well, first, I'll get to my question in a moment. First of all, a bit of context. Uh, here we are uh, in a church. It's my first time in here in, uh, in quite, a, quite a while, actually. And um, it's, uh, it's kind of empty. There's about seven or eight of us here, but um, you're all at home uh, watching us. And uh, we really do look forward to that day when, when we're all back here together, gathered again uh, together as this church family. But I just think, I just think today might be one of those days where online worship is a particular blessing to us all because I want you to imagine that you were here today in this building, and I stood here and I've said to you, at the end of today's service, I'd like you all to come forward so that we could wash your feet. And I wonder what your reaction might be to all of that. Maybe I'm just being a bit cynical, but part of me thinks that I might see a bit of squirming uh, in seats, and part of me thinks that I might see a few faces turning pale cold chills running down spines as you sit there thinking, how on earth do I get out of this? And then we might hear about the roast dinner that you absolutely must get back for. Terribly sorry, hopefully next year you can wash my feet. Or the friend that you suddenly remember that you promised to go on a walk with and you really can't wait around this year. Terribly sorry. Or the fact that all of this terrible social distancing means that you'd really better not have your feet washed this year. Hopefully next year. In fact, part of me suspects that there might be only two people in our church family who would be delighted at the prospect of me saying to the church family, come forward to have your feet washed. And those two people would be David Thompson and Mark Spears, not because David and Mark have dirty feet. Uh, hello, David and Mark, if you're watching. <laughs> but because as our church wardens, I think it would be the only Sunday in the year where they would get home on time for their Sunday lunch, David's infamous Sunday fry. This act of washing feet is an awkward act. 
It's an act of great humility. And it's an act that is deeply ingrained in our national heritage and culture. And quite right too, you might say, because Jesus not only washes his disciples' feet, but he tells them in verse 14 of today's reading, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. This mandate or mandatum in the Latin is where we get the term Maundy Thursday from, the day before Good Friday. And it's also why, as we can see in the next slide, for many centuries, monarchs and church leaders have washed people's feet on Maundy Thursday. Here you can see Justin Welby uh, washing feet in a cathedral. But never mind washing feet here. Can you imagine a letter bearing the royal insignia, dropping through your letterbox, telling you that you had been chosen to have your feet washed by Queen Elizabeth or by Bishop David. I think probably we'd give them a good scrub in advance, wouldn't we? Which is probably not quite in the spirit of the event. But here's the great news for us all. If you ever get such an invitation, just remember this, that Jesus tells us in verse 15 of the reading that I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So, washing feet is not to be taken too literally. It's an example of something, and we're going to think today about what it is an example of. And because it's an example, that's why present-day monarchs tend to give alms to elderly people rather than wash their feet. But nonetheless, the Queen still views Maundy Thursday, the service that she performs on Maundy Thursday, as an important part of her devotional life. Because normally what happens is that recipients of honors always go to visit the monarch. But on Maundy Thursday, following the example of Christ, the Queen makes a, a, an important uh, part, an important point out of going to visit other people. It's an example. It's an example of humility. It's about seeing the dignity and the humanity in others. It's about showing that you're prepared to leave your comfort zone. It's about putting others before ourselves. It's about demonstrating grace and mercy. And for all these reasons, it's fundamentally about being Christ-like. You see, Jesus' leadership is totally different to anything that the disciples would have ever known. He doesn't wash feet in spite of the fact that he is the Son of God. He washes feet because he is the Son of God. And in the next slide we see, we read in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so, precisely because of that, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. In other words, what John's telling us here is that Jesus washes the, defeat, the feet of the disciples precisely because he had come from the Father, and he was soon to return to the Father on one of his final earthly missions 
was to teach the disciples how to live with one another after he had gone. Verse 12 onwards, we read, when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus here is leading then by example. He's saying, this is the type of thing I want you to do for one another. This is the way that I want you to live. Why? Because if I, your Lord and teacher, if I can take the symbolic place of a slave and a servant and wash your dirty feet, then you most certainly can too. And indeed you must if you are to be my disciples. This act of humble service by the greatest one in the room doesn't just tell us about that meal in question. It sets up everything that was to take place in the next 18 hours. Humility, as someone famously said, is not thinking less about yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. And Jesus, when he was washing feet, what's happening here is that he's actually about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be betrayed, arrested, stand trial, and be beaten, flogged, mocked, and crucified. I don't think any of us can possibly imagine what was going on in his mind and what was going on in his heart at that time. And yet we read at the very beginning of this, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he knew the context of all of this. He knew the bigger picture of this act of feet washing. But what the text doesn't say explicitly, but what we now know is that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to be betrayed, suffer an agonizing death, rise again, go back to heaven. It's a lot for anyone to take in. John even tells us slightly later in verse 21 that Jesus was troubled in spirit at the events that were about to unfold. And we know that just after this scene, when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, just after washing the disciples' feet, Luke in his gospel tells us that Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So he's clearly under a spiritual and emotional burden, that burden of death that's becoming very real to him at this point. And yet here's the amazing thing about it all. I read verse 1 a moment ago, Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. But then it moves on immediately, and it says in the very same verse, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable, isn't it? That here we have someone who would have had, who would have had every human reason to dwell 
on his own imminent fate, and he was undergoing this deep emotional inner turmoil. And yet, nonetheless, he devotes himself to the end, showing love to others and teaching them about how they should live after he had gone. And in fact, it's actually doubly remarkable because Jesus doesn't discriminate between the disciples here. He washes the feet of every single one of them, even the one who would go on to deny him three times, even the one that he knew was about to betray him and hand him, have him handed over to be crucified. This all tells us, I think, something very important. Jesus' love was freely given, but it was not always reciprocated, and that is true today as much as back in the disciples' time. We cannot be forced to accept His love, or any love for that matter. And there can be so many reasons that get in the way of that love. In Judas's case here, we're, we're told that Satan had got into him, and we know that Judas's love for money was greater than his love for Jesus. Power, selfishness, greed, the need for control, all of these things, and many more, can prevent love from being reciprocated. Love from God and love from one another. Peter, being Peter, doesn't understand uh, what's going on here. He doesn't understand the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. You shall never wash my feet, he cries out. And I think we can all identify with that. It just seems somehow so odd, so even so wrong in some levels for Jesus to be taking the place of a servant. But that's because Peter sees only what Jesus is doing in a literal sense. He doesn't see the more spiritual significance behind it. And so Jesus has to spell it out to him. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, what he's saying is, you need to graciously accept the love that I am pouring out for you. Love is freely given by Jesus, but it is also deeply costly. And in fact, as we know from the chapters after this, God's love for the world even costs Jesus his life. For us today, the cost of being Christ-like in our love towards others is nowhere near as painful. But it can be costly nonetheless. It can cost us time. It can cost us energy. It can be depleting. And there are times in life when we too need to be refreshed, when we too need to have our feet washed from time to time. I think, as Nigel said earlier, this last year has brought so much of this home to us. So many people have selflessly cared for vulnerable loved ones. So many people have done practical acts of service, shopping for people, keeping in contact for people, homeschooling uh, for children at home, working incredibly hard to keep businesses going so that you can keep people in employment. Many people have worked often in quite unsafe conditions in essential services, in shops, 
in education, in emotionally and physically draining 12-hour shifts in hospitals. People have prayed relentlessly for loved ones in hospital or people who are ill at home. We have grieved with those who grieve. We have mourned with those who mourn. And all of this has taken a deep, personal, and collective toll on all of us, perhaps even more than we have yet realized. There is a weariness out there at the moment. There is a mental and emotional and physical exhaustion. There is a collective sense out there of, I have nothing more to give. And I think people are crying out for refreshment. Well, John's words, Jesus' words reported by John in chapter 13 speak to us in this context very powerfully in three important ways for this moment that we are living through. Firstly, they are a great encouragement to us. Jesus' act of foot washing reminds us of the value that he attaches to action, to us doing things, getting our hands dirty, demonstrating love in our relationships with others. When he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you, what he's saying is, get out there, make a difference, draw near to people, spend time with them, share their burdens, show them that you love them. And yes, it can be tiring and it can be costly. But verse 17 on the screen, I think, is a real encouragement to us. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you're feeling weary, if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling that you haven't much more to give, then surely that is a promise, the promise of blessing that is worth holding on to this morning. If you know someone who is in a difficult place, if you know someone who has no more to give, then maybe even today, reach out to them. Make time for them. Minister to them in that life-giving, refreshing spirit of Christ, because there will be blessing in it for you both. Secondly, these acts of love, loving service, they actually create community. And through community, there is strength and support and solidarity, all of which are really important to God. How do we know? Because the Bible uses this phrase, one another, that we heard in today's passage, well over 50 times. And the precise phrase that we hear today, love one another, actually occurs at least 16 times in the Bible. But there are many others on the next screen, all of which resonate with us at this moment that we're going through live in harmony with one another, build up one another, accept one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, comfort one another, encourage one another, show hospitality to one another. That's just a small number of them. Community is important to God. Loving relationships are important to God. Being in life together is really important to God. 
being held together as the body of Christ is crucially important to God. And when we do all of these things, in whatever ways we can, in whatever form they may take, these are acts of love also. And so there is deep blessing to be found in them. And finally, I think it's really important that we understand that by loving one another, we're actually shaping culture. And again, Nigel uh, spoke about this a moment or two ago. We make a tangible difference in this world. Loving one another is actually a really radical message for our culture often prizes individual advancement, putting yourself first. Our culture has told us to consolidate power, to be the best, to get rich, to build our own empires, to leave a material legacy. So this message of Christ, love one another, show that love to one another, it's actually really counter-cultural. It goes against the spirit of our times, or at least it did, because I just think that this pandemic might have reminded us of the importance of our reliance on God and His command that we should love one another. The love of God shared in our love for one another is surely a timely message for a vulnerable, shaken world. But I think it's also a deeply refreshing message. It's deeply refreshing because it takes us away from this weary culture of individualism and materialism and consumerism that is utterly life-draining, not life-enhancing. I love this quote from Rowan Williams, former Archbishop of Canterbury in the next slide. He was talking about the, the leaders of the church back in the uh, their sort of early modern time who would wash people's feet. And Rowan Williams says this, they didn't all do it because they were lovely, humbly, humble people in somewhere, and some definitely weren't, uh, but because they accepted one great truth that needed repeating over and over again. The one big thing that Christianity had brought into the world of human imagination, and that was, and still is, the truth that power constantly needs to be reminded of what it's for. Power exists in the church or the state or anywhere else so that ordinary people may be treasured and looked after, especially those who don't have the resources to look after themselves. The Bible is crystal clear, he says, that this is the standard by which the gospel of Jesus judges the powerful of this world. Jesus Christ was the most powerful individual ever to walk on the earth. And yet he was born into a stable. He had very little by way of material privilege. He understood pain and suffering and injustice. He was persecuted and sentenced to death on a cross beside two criminals. And all out of love. Because Jesus knew what power is for. It is to make a difference. It is to show ordinary people like you and me through acts of love that we are treasured. And so we are called to serve him by treating others in the same way. We love, as it says in 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us.
this new commandment, this commandment that we love one another, was given at a time of transition. It was given by Jesus to his disciples at a time when he was preparing to leave this world, to leave them behind. It was given as he was preparing for his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. It was given to them as a new way of living. And 2,000 years later, this new way of living is still as relevant as ever because we are still living in those times between Jesus' ascent to heaven and his second coming. This new commandment is like the original new thing. It's like the original new normal, if you like. John 13 reminds us that for all the talk about new normals that go on around us in life at the moment, we should take a Christ-like perspective on change and transition. Yes, there will be many events that come along from year to year in our lives, and some of them will rock our world and rock our individual lives. But we still live in this season between Jesus' departure and return. So when we hear about the new thing, the new culture, always think about Christ's perspective on it. Because some people out there, some people try to impose or control or redefine what new normal is. And sometimes we hear from very powerful people, world leaders, politicians, what they think this new normal is. And actually, love has nothing to do with it. It's selfish, not selfless. The new normal is living in love. And so, here, here today, and live your lives according to the words of our Savior Christ, who is sovereign over us, and who says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, this morning, I want to thank you, Father, for your love poured out in and through the action, the example, the words, and the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, as he washed the feet of his disciples, Father, would you enable us and encourage us to wash the feet of those who stand in your need of love, who stand in the need of your peace, who stand in the need of your healing at this time. May they and may we find refreshing and blessing in it. In Jesus' name, amen.